you're sort of putting the pieces together that you like, but you also have some things that you always maybe didn't think were emphasized. And so you want to, you want to add that into it and you, you just sort of, you mold those pieces together and your own experiences. And then you, you sort of create your own baseball philosophy and coaching philosophy. And so, you know, the, the enjoyable piece in there is you really get to find out how well your philosophy works. And, uh, and, and if it doesn't, you get to find that out too. Wrestling really taught me how to deal with failure. Cause I got a lot of practice with that. All the things you think you know, you, you don't really know anywhere near as you think you do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. And it's so great to have you aboard here for episode number 53. Don't forget to leave a rating, hit that subscribe button, share the episode, sign up for the weekly newsletter, and pick up some stickers for your Yeti or your lawnmower or whatever it is that you need to have looking just a little bit better. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Thanks for joining the club, and a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services to recreational college professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com plus to learn more. You can also find the link down in the show notes. As a Plus member myself for a number of years, I seriously can't recommend it enough. You will get lost in the amount of awesome information they have available to you, and that's a good thing. In this episode, we have an opportunity to learn from Jonathan Webb. He's the head baseball coach at Maplewood Richmond Heights High School in Maplewood, Missouri. Just a few years after graduating from that same high school, he became the head coach of the program at age 22. It's hard to imagine. Coach Webb breaks down what that was like, how he's changed over the last 10 years, and really puts on a display of what quality self-reflection looks like. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 53 with Jonathan Webb. All right, I'm joined by Jonathan Webb. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, glad, to, glad to be a part of it this morning. Yeah, you know, doing some research on you and, and talking with you off air and learning a little bit about you, I know that you... Um, you're not you're not on faculty, and we'll we'll probably get into that a little bit deeper as we go. Um, so your life as a coach is a lot different from 
um, quite a few guys listening and, and many people are in the same boat too as well. Um, but one cool thing I uncovered while I was kind of looking you up a little bit is that you actually were an intern for the St. Louis Rams and you spent like almost two weeks at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a fun experience. Um, I, I actually, um, got to do three of those. So I, I worked, um, uh, when my, really my first job, uh, out of college, um, I, I was, I was an intern with the, uh, with the St. Louis Rams. Well, currently the Los Angeles Rams, but when they were mm-hmm. in St. Louis, um, and so, uh, I was in the PR department and one of the cool things about when you intern in the NFL is at the conclusion of the year, um, all of the PR staffs in the NFL just sort of descend on the Super Bowl city. And so uh, if, you're a, if you're an intern, uh, that, is, that is about as good an, inter- an interning and uh, networking opportunity that you're ever going to get. So um, yeah, the, the days are really long. You get down there uh, a little over a week prior, kind of right before the Pro Bowl, and you're, you're basically prepping um, you know, you're, you're set up with a, with a team generally throughout the week and you are prepping players and for interviews and, uh, really, uh, it's sort of like an intern combine. There are just so many of you and there's so much work to do the week of the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, long days, but, uh, it, it is really quite a bit of fun to, to be a part of that. Well, and so let's let's actually start there then, since we're on yeah. it already. So you know, you're 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 not a, a teacher, which is a little bit different for a lot of different places. I know, like even Texas, you know, I've had quite a few Texas coaches on. It's like you're required to, of course, be on staff in the building. Right. And so you know, life for you is a little bit different in that respect. Yeah, um, to be honest, uh, you know, when I was when I was getting ready to conclude college, um, you know, my, my degree was in journalism and I really thought that my pathway, my career track was, I was going to start at a, uh, you know, a, a weekly paper, probably in a, in a small town somewhere. And then I was, I was just going to try to work my way up to a decent size daily. And that was really what was in my head. Um, until, you know, one, I got the, opportunity to intern with the Rams. And I thought, okay, this, this PR side in, in sports is, is pretty interesting. Um, but then the, the head coaching job at, uh, at MRH, uh, opened up right at the conclusion of my senior year of college. And I had been a, I had been a, uh, a volunteer assistant for, um, you know, the previous year or, or like a couple of years prior. Um, but I, I, and I was, I was really approached by a couple, couple of coaches in the district and, uh, in our athletic director and, and, um, you know, to, uh, to our athletic director's credit. Um, and, you know, it, it might've seemed kind of, uh, I don't know, surprising, uh, to, to a lot of people and, and in some ways surprising to me that, uh, she would give me the opportunity when she did, but uh, she hired me as a head coach when I was 22 years old and actually in the middle of completing my senior year in college. That was one of the things that I definitely wanted to get into is basically the question of like, what were they thinking hiring a 22 year old? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was, um, uh, you know, a, a graduate of the school, which obviously helps. Um, so I, I had some, 
I, I guess, some credibility with the pe- some of the people in the district. Um, but, you know, they, they believed in me and, and took a chance on me and, um, you know, particularly our athletic director, uh, Amber Jordan, you know, just really, um, you know, sort of, sort of stuck her neck out for me to, to give me an opportunity to, to take the program. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I, th- I would say it's worked out for the best so far. Um, and, you know, just kind of a, kind of really gratifying to be presented with that opportunity when, when I got it, it's, it's not really something that you can draw up, um, you know, years prior. Especially, especially when you're that young too. So you, you obviously you, you graduated from MRH. Can you kind of yeah. go back into that, that time that you were there? Obviously you must've enjoyed it to some degree because you started coaching there and then obviously took over at, at age 22. So can you just take us through like, what sports did you play? What was the experience like? What was the school like? That sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, so Maple Richmond Heights, it's a, it is a <clears throat> small, um, public high school, just, um, just west of the city of St. Louis. And, uh, at the time I was there, I actually only had 66 kids in my high school class. Um, it, it has grown since then. Uh, we've got about, we've got about 400 in the high school right now. Um, so it's, it's a very diverse, um, uh, you know, racially diverse school and, and always has been. Um, and it has, uh, you know, I, I graduated in, it would have been 2007 and I played, you know, obviously baseball and also played football and, and wrestled while I was there. And the thing about being in a, a school like that is um, it, it seems like the, the same 12 kids do everything. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of other coaches who have been on here and, and listening have been in that, been in that yeah. perspective as well, you know, where uh, all of your all of your athletes are two and three sport athletes. They are, they're on student council. They're running the the student newspaper and yearbook and probably in drama club too. So, uh, and so that's, that's kind of a, a look at what, you know, Maplewood has been. Um, I got a chance to, uh, to do some, uh, to coach some football as well that uh, a couple of years after I had graduated and, um, you know, really kind of remained pretty involved with the athletic program as a whole. Um, so 2022, um, excuse me, uh, let's see, that would have been 20, uh, I guess 2011 would have been the first year. And I, I was coming into, um, yeah, I was coming into the last year that I was involved with the football program and we had a lot of, there was a lot of turnover at that time with the, uh, head coaching job with the high school baseball team. And, uh, the previous coach was there, uh, just a year. And I think, I don't think they had a, a coach there remain more than three years for, um, you know, close to a decade at that point. Um, and so there was, there was a lot of turnover there and, I was, I was pretty fortunate to, to be in the right place at the right time and for them to, to take a chance on me and, and, you know, believe that that was going to move the program where they wanted it to go. That probably have turned out to be pretty good. I was just going to say three years being kind of the longest tenure of coaches prior to you. And you've been there for, you know, going out, going over a, a decade now, which is pretty awesome. One of the things that I think about, because I, when I was, I, we, we graduated the same year. So we both graduated yeah. from high school in 2007. Um, and in 
I want to say 2010, I think my, my high school baseball coach let me come back in the summer and I was the, he was my assistant coach and I was the head coach for our summer team that we ran. And at the time, I remember it was, there was definitely hard moments where only being a couple years older than some of the guys, knowing quite a few of them from when I had played, it was, it, there's times where it's kind of hard to separate yourself from them because you're so close to them in age and they remember you probably a little bit from high school. Did you have a similar kind of feel when you were first getting back into coaching with them? Yeah, I, I think that was a big thing. Um, when I was when I was coming back into it and uh, not only are you a coach, but you're the head coach and you know, a lot of these guys now I was, I was just separated enough to it's to where it wasn't like I was coaching somebody I went to high school with, but, um, a lot of, you know, I was coaching the brothers of a lot of guys I played with and, um, you know, they're used to seeing me around, uh, you know, when we're growing up and, you know, they're, they're seeing me around their house and, you know, hanging out with their, with their siblings. And, uh, so there's a, you know, I, I think right away, one of the things I was really trying to establish is, you know, trying to establish those clear lines of demarcation between, uh, yeah, I, I know you in another area, but uh, now I'm only knowing you as, as your, your head coach and, and on that level. So that, uh, yeah, that was, I think there was an adjustment period there, um, you know, and just sort of establishing those sort of, uh, you know, you, you've got to establish a little bit different boundaries in that case. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a transitional piece for, for sure. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, if you could go back to the 22 year old version of you yeah. and give yourself a, a piece of advice or two for some of the things you'd face early in your, your career, what would you go back and tell yourself? You know, the number one thing that I, I have thought about with this is, uh, knowing that I was, 22 and getting this head coaching job. And, uh, I was, I was so afraid to be outed as not knowing enough as, and, you know, as sort of being shown that you're not ready for this role. And because of that, I, I could tell that I was not doing a real good job of seeking out voices that were not in my close circle. And that is something that, you know, looking back, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of coaches that, you know, I could, I could have reached out to and sort of sped up my own learning curve. And, um, you know, I probably, I was probably stunting my own growth because I was, you know, pr you know, somewhat insecure in the notion that, okay, you, you know, you need to go prepare yourself really well and, and get yourself ready for this role. Uh, it actually brings me back to a, a story I remember. Uh, this is this would have been during that 2011 year with the Rams, and uh, and so for whatever reason um, there was a um, there was a former coach. His name was Jim Hannafin. He was he was the uh, actually the offensive line coach for the Rams in the uh, in their Super Bowl championship year in '99. Well, he he was doing a radio job afterward and. Uh, by this time, he was sort of just would hang out in the press box. And for whatever reason, early in the year, uh, he would sit next to me in the press box. And we would have these great conversations about teams that he had previously coached. And, um, you know, it was growing up as a Rams fan. That was a, a pretty cool experience. 
But um, one conversation I remember in particular was uh, right after I was uh, named the, the head coach at MRH, I, you know, I was, we had a game that Sunday. Uh, I was sitting in the press box telling him about it. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, I guess in, in a little more colorful way than I'll, <laughs> I'll quote here, but he, he goes, Jonathan, that is really, that is really great. I am really glad to hear that, but let me give you your first coaching lesson. You know, absolutely nothing. And I sat there and I was, you know, it's like, Oh, good talk coach. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate <Yeah>. that. <laughs> and so he went back and he talked about his, uh, where his career started when he was uh, coaching high school ball in Colorado and just talking about all the things you think, you know, you, you don't really know anywhere near as you think you do. And uh, you know, so he was, he was trying to prepare myself, prepare me for uh, you know, some, some growing pains and some bumps in the road along the way. And in, in his very simple direct style, he, he got that point across. Yeah, well, that's it's one of the like weird, weird things about coaching because you, especially when you're young, I feel like it's like you're mentioning at 22. I felt the same way too. It's like you have to. There's like part of you that feels like you have to prove to the kids and their parents and probably your athletic director and the community that like I know I know what I'm doing, and so you have yeah. to. There's like a level of feeling like you have to prove to everybody that you know what you're doing. And then it's funny because like, as you're talking about, as you continue through this path, you, you start to realize all the stuff you didn't know that you didn't have figured out. And then as you start to know stuff and really, really understand things, you, you start to understand also how much you don't actually understand anything. And so it's just this weird thing that like the more you learn about uh, coaching, about kids, about a particular sport, in this case, baseball, the less you actually ultimately know because you have a better awareness of everything there is to know. And it's just a weird, it's just a weird part about coaching that is, is kind of unsettling sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was definitely the case. Um, you know, there's the, the quote about, you know, they will, your, your players will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, you know, so there was, there was definitely a, a transitional period there where, you know, you've got to, you've got to really, you know, pour into the, pour into the kids and, and not simply, you know, not simply look at it from a, you know, a, a transactional perspective and uh, where you're, you're simply looking through the lens of, you know, what can this kid offer the program? It's, um, you know, you, you've really got to, got to get to that point where you're, you're pouring into them and, um, you know, they're, you know, that, they're getting the most out of not only the coach player relationship, but their high school experience as well. And making sure that the program that you coach is, is an asset to that. When you took over at age 22, um, if you can kind of take us back, do you recall what some of your first steps were? Um, because I, I just know there's guys who, and gals who are in their thirties and forties and fifties who get a head coaching job and they have some idea of what they want to do and how to do it. And they're, you know, going back on many years of experience. And then obviously at, at 22, you, you have, it's a very small, a very small collection of experiences at that point. So can you kind of bring us back to that point in what your kind of first steps or maybe even first thoughts were when it's like, okay, Jonathan Webb, you're the head coach now. Good luck. Here we go. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, I always think one of the, the 
most fun pieces of being a head coach is that if you have um, you have a particular baseball philosophy that you have acquired, and that usually comes from a variety of places. So obviously, you're influenced by all the coaches that you have had, mm-hmm. and you're you're taking pieces of their philosophies, and you're you're sort of putting the pieces together that you like, but you also have some things that you always maybe didn't think were emphasized. And so you want to, you want to add that into it. And you you just sort of, uh, you know, you, you mold those pieces together and your own experiences. And then you, you sort of create your own um, baseball philosophy and coaching philosophy. And so, you know, the, the enjoyable piece in there is you really get to find out how well your philosophy works (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) And and if it doesn't, you get to find that out too. Uh Um, And so, um, you know, I, I had a a decent idea of what our personnel was going into that first year. Um, And uh, you know, I, we, I knew I was taking over a program that uh, did not, one did not have a lot of coaching continuity uh, and two, um, did not, uh, you know, had not experienced, you know, high level success for a long time. And, um, you know, when, when I met with our seniors early that year, you know, I, I felt like we had a, we had a real chance to compete right away. Um, and, you know, I would say that first year, um, this is, you know, it's sort of a, you know, double-edged sword here, but I, I think we were, I was so focused on winning in that first year that, um, you know, we, we did manage to go on a pretty good late season run, uh, a challenge and, and potential setback of early on was I felt like, uh, we prop, you know, I don't think I poured into those freshmen and sophomores we had that first year enough. And, and that really sort of slowed progress, I think in our 2012, 2013 years, um, but uh, yeah, I was, I, I can say, and, and probably a factor in that was just, just knowing that, you know, since it was my, my first year and I was, I was trying to establish some things, I felt like, all right, you know, we, we're going to need some success right away. And, uh, you know, just, just trying to speed that learning curve as quickly as I could um, was, a, you know, I would say was at the forefront of my mind in that moment. It's one of the concepts that um, I, I've gotten into with a few coaches too, is that um, as a head coach, it's really easy to, <laughs> like you're talking about, to get really wrapped into what my older kids are doing, um, what we're doing on the field right now, because ultimately that's really fun. And it's like you're talking about, it kind of proves proves some things. You, you kind of feel like you owe it to the seniors and juniors, of course, to give them the best experience you can. But then you also, of course, owe it to the program, to the community, and then, of course, to the human beings who are your freshmen and sophomores to help develop them and prepare them, too. And a lot of times in programs, those younger kids can get lost. And so a lot of times you see, like, I don't know, let's say a freshman class of, like, I don't know, let's just, for example, 10 kids come in their freshman year to play baseball or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, But then by their senior year, maybe only four or five of them are still playing. Uh, and they're the guys who were the really good ones their freshman year anyway, because they just kind of, they were already good when they walked in and they kept getting better. And the kids who were kind of okay, 
maybe got left behind. And so that's one of the big things I've been really trying to focus on for, for, for our program is trying to make sure that I'm not letting those younger kids slip through the cracks because of my focus on the older kids. And so just as a coach over the last 10 years of having the ability to kind of reflect back on it, um, how, how have you changed from that first year in regards to helping, helping develop and pour into those younger kids? Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the biggest pieces, and this is, this is something we began doing a, a few years ago to really, um, to keep us accountable on this as a coaching staff. Um, we, we plan three years at a time. And uh, this is something that we actually just came to the conclusion of our last uh, sort of three-year strategic plan. And, and we're, we're developing our, our new one for the 22 to 24 seasons. And, um, you know, this is something that I think as a, as a head coach and as a coaching staff as a whole, it's really crucial to have written down um, and identified, you know, not just what I want to accomplish over this next season, not just what we want to do with this senior class or, uh, or, or any class in particular, but what are the large scale items that we want to achieve over a three year span? Uh, and I think three years is really important because, uh, you know, you don't, I don't think you just want to look at specifically a four-year class and then uh, and not deviate from that and not present a chance for you to, to deviate from that in the midst of their high school career. Um, but when we look at three years at a time, uh, our plans include everything from what we do on the field to what we ask of the kids academically, um, you know, any sort of uh, facility, fundraising uh, items that we want to include, uh, we put that in our, in our plan as well. And so um, when we initially started doing this, uh, we, we did it just as a, as a coaching staff. And, and as we've, uh, you know, we're moving into this next three-year one where, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting down with our, um, some of our, our established players as well. And not just seniors, you know, we'll have guys who are uh, sophomores and juniors in that group that we'll be talking with uh, to really allow them to have a, have a say in what goes into this multi-year plan. Uh, because ultimately, you know, they, they are going to be the ones who are going to have this experience. And we want to make sure that uh, from a communication standpoint, the coach, you know, coaches and, and players are, are on the same page with what we want to accomplish and uh, to have a little bit longer view than, than just a single season. That's, that's a really smart idea. I've never heard anyone articulate it like that, of actually writing down plans beyond the one year, because I think so many of us, like, you know, we can get so bogged down in coaching from year to year that it's really hard sometimes to take the time to sit down and plan forward, you know, that many years in advance. And um, I don't know, just a really smart idea. When listening to that too, I also, my, my mind also went to the, your coaching staff. So um, smaller school, which sometimes means smaller um, collection of people to pull from to, to bring in for your coaching staff. So what's the coaching staff structure like for you and, and where'd you find these guys? Yeah. So um, right now we have, uh, you know, we, we get to have two paid assistants, which is, uh, you know, which is really fortunate at a, at a small school to have that for, um, I've had in my career, we've had, uh, 
one paid assistant uh, for, for several years. And then we were able to add a second one. Um, and you know, that, that's a huge difference maker. Um, you know, as far as when you're in a, you know, when you're in, in practice and you're able to have, uh, you know, a, a six to one or, or seven to one coach to player ratio, that's a, that's a really nice thing. Um, but, uh, so the, the coaches that I have, I'm working with right now, actually one of them, uh, he, he finished up playing collegiately, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, in Wisconsin and, uh, he has come back to us and he, and actually the other paid assistant is, uh, is his dad who, uh, we worked together at a, uh, when we were coaching club ball in St. Louis. And so I was able to, he came over to, to, to us in I think 2016. So he's been with us for, this is his sixth year. And, uh, and so, yeah, actually all three of us are, are non-faculty. And so that is, that sort of, you know, creates certain difficulties. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine when you're, you're not in the building every day and trying to, trying to, uh, you know, work around, School schedules, uh, mm-hmm. meeting places. I, I would definitely say for any non-faculty head coach, make sure you've got a teacher in the building that you can sort of partner with, and and you know have their, you know, for classroom space, and uh, you know if you need to come in contact with, you know, with a kid or um, you know, you, you need a spot to meet. That's, that's always been a helpful thing for us is, is having somebody in the building that, that we can sort of have as an auxiliary member of the program. Well, yeah. And there's also some advantages to not being on faculty too. I had, I've usually have had at least one or two assistant coaches who aren't in our building and they have like normal human being jobs. And a lot of times they're able to, you know, just like teachers, a lot of times we have jokes with each other about how it'd be nice to like go to lunch someday um, rather than eating, <laughs> yeah. you know, sack lunch out of our classroom right. again. But, um, but the ability, especially in baseball, right. To We've had, you know, to be able to go down and for example, here in Oregon, obviously it rains a lot. So having a coach who can go down there during the day and like pull our tarps off when the sun starts coming out and get, get some sunshine on the field and yes. uh, being able to maybe put lines down a little bit early and, and just the freedom that comes with it. So it is, it's kind of a double-edged sword in both regards. There's, there's certainly advantages and disadvantages to it, but um, it's, it's been very nice for us having at least one or two guys who aren't on staff um, at the school who can have a little bit more flexibility in their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, that's a great point there. Um, you know, uh, getting, trying to make sure you get the field ready, trying to, uh, you know, do some coordination between, you know, if we need to, if we need to move a game to another site or, or what have you, that all of those scenarios have come up where I've thought, all right, it's, you know, this is a nice scenario to have, uh, you know, to have a little, a little freedom away from the the school to do that. The other piece though, I I wanted to mention when you were talking about building a coaching staff, uh, this was something that, um, that I really developed from when I was a, a high school athlete. And, uh, one of the things that I really try to achieve with the guys that I've had, uh, is that I, I feel like I have always, I've always wanted to have a coach for every player. And what I mean by that is your, your head coach always needs to be able to reach 
uh, every kid on the roster, but there is going to be somebody on staff that may be able to reach an individual kid a little bit better than you can. And this was a principle that uh, actually when I was playing high school football, um, you know, the, the staff we had together there, um, just really great mix of personalities and experience and, um, you know, communication styles. Um, and, and so on, you know, I, I can, I can remember the, the 40, 50 guys we had on the roster there. Um, you know, you could, every, everybody on that roster could communicate well with the head coach. He was very skilled in that way. Uh, but there was an assistant coach that you could always go to if you needed to go a little bit more in depth. And uh, that's, that is something that I've tried to emulate ever since at MRH is, uh, is having that coach for every player. I think that's such a good point too. We've, I, I have coaches like that too, as a head coach, like you're talking about, like it's, of course you're reachable, but it's, it's just different when you have an assistant coach. I think there's multiple pieces to it. I think one of the big pieces to it might be the fact that, um, you, Jonathan, you make the lineup. I yeah. also make the lineup. And so there's right. just that one, just that, even if it's never mentioned, no one talks about it. There's that one little layer where maybe it makes a kid a little bit more comfortable going and talking to my assistant about whatever, not even baseball stuff, whatever. It doesn't matter. But yeah, man, having, having good assistant coaches who can relate to each of your kids, like you're talking about is such a, such a money idea. Yeah, it, it's, you know, um, and really, um, you, you need to have the, the other, the other side to that is, um, you know, you'll have these coaches bring items to you that, you know, a, another player brought to them, but wasn't, wasn't comfortable bringing to you. And the, I would say the other piece of that from the perspective of being a head coach is, uh, not only are you getting a coach for every player, but you're, you're getting coaches on staff who, you know, feel free and comfortable to, um, you know, to, to speak to you in in a way that maybe you need to hear and, um, you know, to be able to hold you accountable and, um, you know, to, to just allow those lines of communication to, to really go, uh, freely in both ways. Um, you know, that's, that has been a, a real, um, I would say, uh, a benefit for me is just the, you know, the, the men that I've had in this position have felt comfortable, uh, you know, calling me out when they felt like, uh, you know, we've got to, we've got to do something a little bit differently. Um, you know, they've, they've brought a diverse set of thoughts to, to our coaching style. And, um, you know, that, that has certainly been to the program's benefit in, in what we've had with, uh, with my assistant coaches. Do you have any like concrete examples of a time where one of your assistants did that for you, where you, they brought something to your table and it changed maybe the way you thought about something or changed, uh, the direction you were taking a particular moment or practice or game or season, or even just overall philosophy? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I remember we had, um, in, 2014 was really the first year that we were, that we were pretty good. Um, and we were early in that year, but we were, we were playing pretty good baseball. And, uh, I think there were some assumptions that I was making about, uh, what 
every player on the roster was seeing. And I, I remember we had a freshman who was who was actually getting a decent amount of playing time early on on, on varsity. And um, as, as we're as we're progressing through the year, um, you know his his bat was struggling a little bit, and um, you know I I started you know I started just sort of phasing him out of the lineup a little bit, and I wasn't uh, I I wasn't doing a very good job of communicating with him because I was making an assumption that he is seeing what I'm seeing, and that he has the same expectation that I have, and um, you know I, I can I can recall um, you know one of my assistants pulling me aside and saying hey. Um, you know, this, this kid's bringing this to my attention that, um, you know, he, he just, he just doesn't understand. And, you know, he was, I, I understand what you're doing, but you're not doing a good job of bringing this, uh, you know, back to him and, and sort of, you know, creating a little bit of perspective and, and, uh, and communicating this with him. And so, um, you know, that really, that really sort of opened my eyes to, uh, you know, in that moment that a lot of times as, as a head coach, we've, we've got certain ideas uh, running through our heads and we have certain views of how things are supposed to be. And, you know, we just, there, there is, you, you can't over communicate uh, with kids. And, um, you know, I, I felt like, you know, I was, I felt like things were obvious that, that really weren't in that, in that situation. It's, it's such a good lesson. It brought one back for me too. At a, a a young man, he ended up coming back and coaching for me, so I feel comfortable sharing the story. But um, he was one of our he was our kind of second baseman in the year. We we made it to the semifinals, and um, just a really good ball player. But he he was kind of an average hitter, below average hitter, probably for our lineup. And um, anyway, he he was really struggling, and so I ended up I ended up DHing for him for a couple of games, and I didn't really ever talk to him about it because, like you're just saying, I'm like, well, he knows, like I don't need to say anything to him, right? Right. And, uh, and then he, he was ended up, he was one of my student aides in class. And so kids were taking a test or something. I'm not sure. And so we're kind of sitting there and he, he goes, Hey, hey coach, like, why, why am I getting DH for? And my first reaction in my head is like, what do you mean? You had like one hit in the last like four weeks. What, yeah. what? And so it was a really good, like, Whoa, wait a second. Like you're so right. You cannot over communicate, especially, uh, with teenagers. Like you just can't. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, it's, and it, it's always, you know, that, that's the, that's the story that always come, comes to mind. Um, but, uh, you know, there are other, other situations where, you know, even as we're, I remember we are, um, you know, we're getting late into that season and, um, you know, we had a, we had a situation where, um, you know, we had to, we had to set up our rotation for, um, you know, for the, the end of the year. And, um, I had, you know, one of my assistants, we was specifically our, our pitching coach and, you know, we're essentially, we had to decide, do we line up the rotation to, uh, give us a shot at, at winning the conference or, um, you know, do we, do we set ourselves up a little bit for, uh, you know, postseason in, in a couple of years, in a couple of weeks, and I went ahead and I, I, or I was talking with our, our pitching coach about it. He had, he had one very uh, adamant position on it. And I had a very adamant position against that one. And so 
um, you know, I, I, I just remember after, afterward, you know, we were, we were talking about a little bit and just, uh, um, I, I, I realized that, you know, if we were, if, if I had been doing a little bit better job of communicating leading up to that, uh, you know, just could have, just could have set us up a little bit better and allowed communication to be a little bit easier than it was in that moment. So, um, yeah, I just, I just think it's really, really important for us as head coaches to, uh, to have assistants who are, who feel comfortable enough, um, you know, bringing concerns and in full, uh, to us whenever, uh, you know, whenever they have them. You brought it up, so let's dive into it. In 2014, um, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of the numbers, but in, in 2014, uh, the first district title for for MRH since uh, 1963. I yes, think, is that right? yes, yes. <laughs> how that cool, is correct. How cool was that for you guys? I mean, for really cool. I mean, for the, obviously the community, the school, coaching staff, the players. For you as a graduate, like, what was that moment like? such a gratifying moment for our community as a whole. Um, you know, I, I can't remember, uh, which coach, uh, I follow on Twitter who posted something relative to this a couple months ago, he was talking about the difference between coaching at a private school and a public school and not to take anything away from any successes that private schools have. But, uh, when you're coaching a, when you're coaching a public high school, uh, you are playing for your community and you're coaching for your community. And, um, you know, that is just such a, such a cool experience for, uh, the families involved, um, to be able to have this level of success that, that the school hadn't experienced in quite a while. And, um, you know, I, you know, it's something that I would mention, um, you know, to our, to our team, because, you know, we really, you know, I, I do think there's value in really emphasizing the, the history of the program and the significance of, uh, of achievements like that. And so, uh, you know, when we won in 2014, we were actually, we were going up against our, our crosstown rival, uh, Brentwood, and they had won the the three previous and they, they actually beat us in the finals in 2011 and 2013. So, mm. um, to, to be able to sort of get over that hump and, um, and, and to, you know, to have that moment with the program, uh, I, you know, I really felt like it, it created an opportunity for our, you know, for our kids to, to achieve something that, you know, nobody was going to be able to take away from them, uh, going forward and, and really sort of elevate our program to, um, you know, to continue to build upon that, um, and, and just, just create a, create a platform that, that we didn't have previously. Yeah. And it's really fun to, uh, similarly, I've just over the course of doing this, you know, met a lot of coaches through Twitter and a lot of them I don't even, I met might be the wrong word, just, I guess, interacted with experienced sure. on Twitter, right? But um, it's been really fun because the more like high school coaches you start to follow on Twitter and the ones who post especially, you get to see some pretty cool moments where they post some some really special things. 
which a lot of times they'll, you know, if they win their first district title or conference championship or whatever it might be, or uh, one man I had on a month or so ago, Nick Straka's team hadn't won a game in like three or four years. They just won their first game a couple weeks ago, football team. And um, just, it's so satisfying because like you're talking about, it's when you're a high school kiddo playing for your high school team, and I know a lot of coaches talk about this, the name on the front of the jersey type of a thing, but you're you're playing for more than obviously yourself or your teammates or your family. Like you're you really are playing for your community. And so when you have a, a nice close knit community and you really feel feel them rooting for you and you you win something like that, um, there's just an extra layer of of specialness that kind of comes with it. Yeah, there was um I, I was listening to a few of your um you know, a few of your podcasts, uh, from, from the past year, uh, one of them really stuck out where you were, you were talking with Sandra Prosperino, um, oh, yeah. who's at your soccer coach in Valhalla high school in New York. And one of the things he mentioned, uh, was that he, he doesn't just love coaching. He loves coaching Valhalla so- soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel very much the same way where, uh, yes, I enjoy coaching baseball, whatever the venue, but I really appreciate the opportunity to coach MRH Blue Devils baseball. Um, there's there's just an added layer there. There's a there's a personal element to it. Um, you know, a lot of again, I, you know, even though I've been doing this for ten years, there are a lot of teachers that I had who my players have right now. <laughs> um, so you know, there are a lot of those shared experiences of walking the same halls and. Um, you know, you're, you're sort of going through the same experiences. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're able to offer and, uh, and be a part of, of an experience that, uh, maybe you didn't have a chance to, to be in, uh, when you were in high school. You know, I, when I was a high school baseball player at Maplewood, we had, we actually had three different head coaches in my four years. Um, Crazy. and so there was a, there was a lot of, you know, there's just there's constant turnover, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, sort of starting, restarting, and uh, spinning spinning our wheels a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I, I just really, really appreciate and uh, and enjoy the opportunity to, uh, you know, to be a part of a hopefully a, you know, a, a much better experience for for these guys. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that for me, my high school experience was the opposite. So I had um, the coach that I played for and then later coached for and he's he was there for, my gosh, 30 years or something like that. And so we, I knew who he was when I was probably yeah. like sixth grade, fifth grade. I knew, I, you know, and I knew what I was going to get and I got four years of it and it was awesome and the continuity was great. And it never, as a high school kid, like, you know, you're kind of in your own world. Like, it's hard for you to understand what happens outside of your own high school. And even now as an adult, it's still kind of hard for me to imagine what it's like for a high school kid. Like, just knowing how much I loved my high school baseball experience and to have gone through even two head coaches, let alone, like you're mentioning, three head coaches. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really hard for me to imagine that because I just think of, like, all the off-season stuff, all the just the personality of coaches and, and, and trying to get to know them and understand them and how they work and trying to make yourself noticed by them, of course, is another part of it too. And I don't know, just going through three of them seems crazy. Yeah, that was, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it was also very different from uh, the other sports I was playing. You know, I, you know, our, we had, uh, as I mentioned, our, our, 
football staff was, you know, a very uh, established group at that point, and and we were having a lot of success. And my um, high school wrestling coach, who I, I would say he was probably uh, outside of my parents, uh, the most influential adult in my in my adolescent life. Um, you know, just uh, just a you know a great role model, and uh, you know, really established a lot of a lot of elements of what a coach should be. Uh, that's, you know, that's what he was to me. And, uh, you know, set just really set a, a really great example for me, uh, in that way. Um, and yeah, and you know, baseball was, you know, my, my first love and whoever was, whoever was going to be coaching, I was, you know, I, I was happy to go along with it, but, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, that's a lot of change in four years for sure. Yeah. Well, and so wrestling, we've mentioned a couple of times. So you, you football and wrestling, like that tends to go together. But I, I don't know of that many baseball coaches or sorry, baseball players who were also wrestlers. And so just going back to that, like what was how did that come about, first of all? And then what was what was something or two you took from wrestling that you you kind of have carried with you? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, wrestling really, uh, taught me how to deal with failure. Cause I got a lot of practice with that in wrestling. Um, it was, it, so my, uh, my older brother was actually a, a senior when I was a freshman in high school and, um, uh, coming off, uh, well, going into the winter, you know, I, I knew I wanted to have the experience of playing a sport with, with my older brother. And, uh, they had a, they had a weight class open. Um, I was actually, boy, I was, I was tiny. I was a one nineteen my freshman year. And, uh, so I went, I was, you know, decided I was going to go ahead and, and wrestle that year. And, um, you know, promptly, uh, began a, an Owen 27 freshman season. So it was, <laughs> there you go. it was, as it was, you know, it, from a, a wins and losses standpoint, it was pretty tough, but, um, I will say there is nothing that, uh, prepared me more to, uh, um, you know, I would say to be, uh, you know, just relentless in competing and, uh, you know, from, from a self-improvement standpoint, um, you know, there is, there's really, there's nothing like wrestling to offer that for you. And, uh, the, the other piece of, of wrestling is you can never, you can't turn to anybody else if something doesn't go your way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is on you and you know, you are, you are responsible for the outcome uh, in total. And um, I, I think that that really, I think wrestling really helped me, you know, build an understanding, not only in, you know, how to, how to work for something that, that you want to achieve, but also to, you know, to take total responsibility for, uh, for your successes and failures. And, um, you know, that was something over my, over my four years of wrestling that, that I felt offered that to me and, um, you know, better than anything else at that point. Yeah. I think about competing and they're there. We talk about baseball. A lot of coaches talk about baseball, um, in that regard of how it's a one-on-one sport. And in a lot of ways, obviously it is, but, it's nothing like wrestling. <laughs> it's literally yeah. just you and another person and that's it. Good luck to you. And like what you're saying, man, dealing with failure, it's crazy. Um, when you, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, smaller school, a lot of, you know, 
like a lot of smaller schools, you're going to have a, a lot of the same names coming up in three, three different sports throughout the course of the year. So then I'm thinking as a baseball coach and I'm thinking of off-season stuff, how do you handle off-season training? What's it like as a baseball coach at a smaller school where you're obviously sharing kids a little bit more than um, some of the like giant schools that we see? Yeah, um, that, that's, a, that's a great point. So, you know, for instance, uh, we, we really do not run much of our off-season program in the fall. We, we will wait until the conclusion of fall sports, which, you know, actually right now we, we've got like one week left of mm-hmm. fall sports here in Missouri. So um, our, our off-season program uh, usually begins in November. And so we, we do that just in, uh, you know, from the reality that we are sharing these athletes and uh, you know, what, just as we would hope that, you know, our soccer program and uh, you know, basketball programs are understandable when we're in the spring and uh, you know, we, we need those guys in that moment. So uh, you know, we don't want to take anything away from, from those guys uh, right now with, with their current teams and, and so in that way, we're, we're able to work around a lot of, a lot of those issues. But, uh, you know, we, we do try to, uh, to limit those conflicts as much as we can while, while still maximizing the amount of work we're able to actually get done in the offseason. But there is, a, there is a bit of a balance required. Well, I'm sure there is. And, I, like, for us, we're a, we're a pretty big school. And so I usually, I don't know, in the fall, we usually have, like, 24 to 25 guys at every workout. Um, and so our, our issue is almost the opposite where we have so many players that it ends up being kind of difficult to try to help each of them kind of reach their goals because there's, there's just so many and so little time with restrictions for our state and things like that. Um, but then we also get the problem, I don't know if problem is the right word, but we also get a lot of kids who probably would be really helpful to our football team or really helpful to our basketball team or maybe even really helpful to our wrestling team who ultimately they love baseball so much that they they make the choice to not play other sports so that they can train more for baseball. And it's certainly nothing we've ever pushed on them as coaches, but sure. it's kind of the reality that we live in where I think our school would be probably so much better across the board at all sports if our kids were uh, being shared across all the sports like they were at, at most smaller schools. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it, it's – that, that's always a balance and um, you know we, we do have uh, we do have some other guys who are, are more baseball specific and are are able to you know to get a little a little extra work and, and the other the other piece is uh, and I'm sure you run into this is uh, you know guys who have off-season stuff with summer teams as well um, you know if they've got uh, and, and just trying to trying to meld, um, you know, if guys are on a particular throwing program and, and, you know, we want to, you know, my, my general philosophy on that is, is we want to have, um, you know, as long as, as we think what's, what's occurring with that, uh, with that program is, is beneficial to the kid ultimately, um, you know, we, we allow them to, you know, to, to continue on that during, during the off season. Uh, but we, we do want them to, to be fully involved with what we're doing when we are doing full team off season stuff. So, um, you know, we try to make sure guys, you know, obviously guys aren't throwing bullpens for two organizations in the same week, um, you know, things of that nature, but, um, 
you know, I, I think oftentimes uh, high school coaches and club coaches are end up at odds and unnecessarily uh, more often than not uh, because, you know, I've, I've been on both sides of that. And the, the reality is, uh, you know, if the kid is, is willing to work and, and prepare himself well, and, and, and both coaches are geared toward, you know, finding the outcome that's the best situation for that kid. I, I think that's worth, that, that should be the focus and, you know, what, where the pursuit is. I think so often we let our egos get in the way and we think we start letting that idea of, well, I know what's best get in the way or ah, that guy's just in it for money or whatever it might be. And ultimately the only person that's really getting hurt in that exchange is the, the actual kid. And so, yeah. um, you know, I talked about that with our pitching coach the other day of how a lot of kids, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, especially talking about like a pitcher, he's not going to tell you his high school coach that he just threw bullpen yesterday for his, you know, his right, private right, lessons yeah. or whatever. Um, if you ask him to throw bullpen, he's going to throw bullpen because again, we're the ones who make the lineup and he doesn't want to do anything that's he, that he thinks would upset us, even though it, it wouldn't upset you. And so you have to be really clear with kids too, and make sure you're communicating with them and but yeah, yeah, I think everyone ultimately is on the same side. It's just a matter of like being able to put your ego away for a minute and going back to your idea of just being able to communicate with people. Yeah, and one of the things that I would say, uh, you know, specifically in being a non-faculty coach is uh, I would say one of the, the biggest differences here as far as communication with players. Um, during the, the off-season – there are there are very few scenarios where uh, where your communication is simply happening organically, where you've got a kid in a classroom or you've got a kid walking down a hall, and so it just requires you to be very intentional. That you know, I think that's one of the the things I'm constantly reminded of um, when communicating with you know with players throughout throughout the off season specifically is just the the lack of organic, uh, communication opportunities. Um, if you're, you know, if you're not around all the time now you try to create scenarios where that does happen, you know, you're, you know, I, I think it's really important to, to go support these, you know, your, your players when they are, uh, you know, when they're in their fall and their winter sports, um, you know, uh, you, you've got periodic opportunities where you can stop in the lunchroom here and there, um, and just be available for them. But, uh, most communication, ha it, it's got to be intentional. Um, you, you've got to make a point to, to reach out to all of them. Um, you know, and it's, it was very interesting this past year, uh, with COVID where, you know, we were, we were separated so much and even the amount of, uh, you know, our kids were learning remotely and, it was actually one thing that I, I felt like we had a little bit of an advantage over some other teams in that, uh, you know, they, other coaches may have had that organic element and had it taken from them. Um, whereas, you know, this was something that we had, that we had been doing for a number of years. And, uh, you know, I, in some ways I felt like that may have, have played to our advantage a little bit, given what the circumstances were. That's a great point that so much of the conversations I have with players are are not at the baseball field. And especially when you really get into like 
life stuff. Um, yeah. the, the conversations happen elsewhere. Um, even, even not even athletes, but like if I have a student in class who's kind of struggling, if I can talk to that student in any other environment, so if I can just run into them at a basketball game or run into them in the hallway separately, like I feel like we can have a legitimate conversation of like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Whereas in a classroom, there's just something about it that's different. Same thing athletically, like on the field, there's just there's something a little bit different. And so that's a really good point about trying to be intentional because like you're saying, I think for, for most of us on staff that that just happens on its own in the in the hallway like 30 times throughout the course of a week sure. anyway. Yeah, and it's it, it's something that um, you know, when I was when I was starting in this role, um, you know, if there was if there was something that going back that uh that Jim Hannafin would have been more right about as far as me not knowing anything, it, it would have been that communication piece uh, and just the, the importance and the uh, you know, the, how, how crucial that communication is for uh, you know, on, on both sides from the player side and, and from the athlete and from the, uh, the coaching side, just uh, you know, it, it, it takes effort. It takes uh, you know, and, and you're, you really can't uh, succeed at a high level without it. And that's, yeah. uh, unfortunately, that's something, that's something I, I, I felt like I was learning the hard way early on. My, <laughs> my, my wife would contend I'm, I'm still struggling with it, but uh, <laughs> we're bit by bit. Yeah. Progress is all we need. Just keep getting a little bit better every day. It'll be fine. <laughs> Jonathan, I feel like we're, we're just kind of scratching the surface. I feel like there's so much more we can get into and I'm not just blowing smoke. I think there's, there, we're, we're hitting the hour mark, but I think there's just a lot that you have to offer. And I, I definitely would, would like to bring you back in the future and go, go farther into some other categories, like getting into leadership and, you know, yeah. senior night celebrations and um, what your life is like outside of, of the baseball field too, because I feel like we didn't get to go too deep into that. But, um, but just for today, you know, just handing the mic over to you one last time. And if there's anything um, crucial that we missed, any advice you have, any just self-reflections, doesn't really matter. Just uh, give you the microphone one last time. Well, I appreciate it, Max. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly want to, uh, you know, uh, mention my, my wife, Betsy, and um, she, she half jokingly in, informs me that she was able to enjoy baseball a lot more before she met me and it invaded every <laughs> aspect of her life. Um, yeah. But uh, she, she makes all this possible. Uh, and there's, you know, there's no substitute for having a spouse who understands and supports the time and sacrifice required to coach. And so, you know, I, I just, you know, very, very grateful for her and uh, you know, the, the opportunity that, that she provides uh, for, for me to be able to keep doing this and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll, I'll continue, continue doing this indefinitely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just tremendously gratifying. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and we're recording this on the morning of Halloween. So, um, hope you enjoy the trick or treaters out there and, uh, just, just really appreciate you carving out some time for us. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Max. <laughs> Thank you. Really enjoyed having the chance to sit down and talk shop with Coach Webb. It's funny how this club, the High School Coaches Club, can connect you, me, and people like Jonathan Webb together. And for that, I'm really grateful. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter, or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. 
Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. Doesn't matter how you do it, just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, that's how we grow the club, and that's how we find dudes like Jonathan Webb to get into everybody's earbuds. Huge fist bump to him for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus for sponsoring the episode. And of course, to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.